So again, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The passage is also printed in your worship guide on page 11. We take a brief break from our study of Romans to look at this important passage on the resurrection this morning. But I believe if you pay close attention, if you've been with us through our study of Romans, you'll see some connections in this passage as well. But let's stand, if you're willing and able, for the reading of the Word of God. This is indeed the Word of God, not the Word of men. So may we receive it as such. It is true forever for all people everywhere. It is a life-giving, precious gift. And I pray that we will all receive it as such this morning. Let us hear the word of God. Beginning in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed." Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised... Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So our sermon title today is taken from verse 22, where Paul writes, As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If Christ is not risen, that statement is not true. The resurrection is essential to the Christian faith. In Christianity, everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes this chapter to remind us of the gospel and to convince us of the resurrection. 
So this morning, we will be reminded of the gospel, and then we will consider three ways that your life is forever different, forever better, forever blessed, because Christ is indeed risen. So first, let's be reminded of the gospel. In verse 1, Paul begins, and he says, Now I would remind you of the gospel. And then in verse 3, referring to the gospel, he says, I deliver to you as of first importance. Paul is saying that the gospel is the most important thing for you to know, to believe, to remember, to think about. It is essential. It cannot be left out. Most of you know David and Maggie Crow that they are moving this week and they have been giving away a lot of good things as they seek to downsize. And I don't know if they have had any arguments about what to get rid of or what to keep or if they've been in perfect agreement. If they're like most of us, there have probably been little areas of disagreement. But I'm sure they've been handled beautifully with perfect peace and harmony in their home. But if the gospel were a tangible thing that they could keep or not, there could be no discussion. It would be the first thing packed. It must be taken. It must be kept. The gospel is absolutely essential to our lives. So what is the gospel? Paul says in verse 3, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So we begin with that title, Christ. He is the Messiah. This is an announcement that this is God's anointed king. And it was this one, the king, who died for our sins. You saw this in Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. And yet God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ, God's anointed promised king, died for us. So Jesus took our place. He died in our place for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserved. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Paul continues in verse 4 that he was buried. The wages of sin is death and Jesus truly died. He bore the punishment for our sin in his own body. He died and he was buried. But he did not stay buried in the grave. As Paul continues, he was raised on the third day. There's that proclamation. Jesus rose from the dead. This is a visible display for all to know that Jesus was and is God. A visible display that Jesus had defeated death. He didn't just rise from the dead, he then appeared. He appeared to Cephas or Peter. He appeared to the twelve, to more than 500 brothers at one time. And then he appeared to who were skeptics at the time, James, his own brother, Paul, who was persecuting the church. Paul saying, this is a historical fact. You can check it out. You can go talk to these eyewitnesses. This is also a visible display that the sacrifice of Christ was not in vain. It was effective. It was accepted by God. Paul says in Romans chapter 4 that Jesus was raised up for our justification. That means when Christ was raised from the grave, God was pronouncing to us that we could once again be made right with him. Our fellowship with God could be restored. We could be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so that's why Romans 10 tells us that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will 
be saved. Beloved, this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. This gospel is true. It is based on historical facts, on real events in history. This is the gospel that Paul preached and the early church believed. It is the same gospel that I preach today and that you believe, or I pray you will believe. So we remember the gospel today. And we also want to know the incredible difference that it makes. Why is this of first importance? Why does it matter so much? And here Paul turns to the issue of the resurrection. Remember, if, the God, if, if Christ is not risen, the gospel is not true. And so Paul will say in verses 17 and 18, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. This will be our focus this morning. Those two verses, in light of the fact that Christ is risen. Because Christ is risen, there are three ways that your life is forever better, forever different, forever blessed. Because Christ is risen, your faith is not futile. You are not still in your sins, and those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not perished. That's how we could state it in a negative way. But we could also state it positively. Because Christ is risen, beloved, your faith is fruitful. It is effective. You are delivered from your sin. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ are living today. So first, because Christ is risen, your faith is not futile. Your faith is fruitful. It is effective. Now, futile means vain. Or worthless. It means to be without foundation, without warrant. Futile means that it is incapable of producing any useful result. It is pointless. It's how I feel whenever I call customer service and I get a recording to answer the phone. Maybe you feel the same way. I want to talk to a real person. So I just start pushing zero. Give me a person. And it just starts the whole process over. And over and over. It is futile. It is fruitless. It is a waste. But Paul says, because Christ is risen, your faith is not futile. It is not these things. Instead, because Christ is risen, your faith in Christ is well-founded. It is warranted. It is effective. It is effectual. Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance the certainty of things hoped for. So, beloved, your faith in Christ is not futile. It is indeed the opposite. It is fruitful. It is effective. This means that for every believer in Christ, your faith will be rewarded. It doesn't end in futility. It doesn't end in death. It, end in, it ends in reward. How do we know this is true? Because Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Amen? The fact, the historical fact of the resurrection means that the words futile and vain can never be applied to faith in Jesus. 
Your faith is not futile because the object of your faith is Jesus Christ. And he is risen, ascended, and reigning. He's the author, the founder of your faith, and the perfecter of your faith. Now, Paul is focused on this faith in relation to the gospel and to how it impacts our relationship with sin and to the resurrection, to the life to come. Our faith is not futile in these areas. It's fruitful. It's effective. But our faith is also not futile when it comes to suffering, although it may look like it or it may feel like it. It often feels like our faith is futile because our faith does not prevent suffering in our lives. And our faith cannot even take away the pain of suffering in our lives. We know that hard things still happen. Bad things still happen. Terrible things happen to people of faith. And so we may, we may fear that our faith will be crushed under the weight of these things. That our faith will fail. That it will prove to be futile. But beloved, if your faith is in the risen Christ... When you are united to him by faith, then his resurrection overcomes this fear. You see, your faith is not the promise that all the circumstances of your life will go smoothly for you now that you have faith in Christ. There's no such promise for the believer. In fact, the opposite is promised. Afflictions and trials and sufferings will come your way. But along with the sufferings of life is this promise that God Almighty, your loving, wise, good, righteous, heavenly Father, will cause all things to work together for your salvation. God will make all things work together for your good. And so you are like the man in Psalm 112 who says, I am not afraid of bad news. My heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. This is the man of faith. This is the man who fears the Lord. His faith is not futile. Beloved, there there will be times when it will feel like your faith is futile. Remember, Christ is risen. There will be times when it looks like your faith is futile. Remember, Christ is risen. There will be times when you may think or others will tell you that your faith is futile. Remember, Christ is risen. Your faith is not worthless. It's not empty. It's not vain. It's not pointless. Beloved, it is not futile. It is never futile to trust in Jesus. It is sweet. It is well warranted. It is fruitful. It is effective. Your faith in Christ will be rewarded. Why? Not because your faith is so great, but because Christ is risen. Well, second, second, because Christ is risen, you are not still in your sins. Or to state it positively, you are delivered from your sin. Now, what does this mean? It means that for those who trust in Jesus, for those of you who believe that Christ is risen, your sins cannot condemn you, and your sins will not conquer you. So last week we looked at Romans chapter 7, and we saw that as followers of Christ, we are now engaged in a lifelong battle with sin. So it may often feel like, or it may often look like, 
that we are still in our sins, that our sins will conquer us. But beloved, the only way this is possible for those in Christ is if Jesus is still dead in the grave. And he is not. He is risen. He lives and he reigns today, this very moment, right here, right now, in your very life. And you have been raised with him so that the power of sin in your life has been broken. The war, the decisive war, has already been won. Now, you may lose some battles along the way. You will still sin in this present life. But the day is coming when you will sin no more. Your sin will not conquer you. For it has already been conquered by Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And in your ongoing daily battle with sin, the risen Christ will never leave you. He will not forsake you. He will not stop loving you. He's with you to help you, to strengthen you, to forgive you, to assure you your sins cannot condemn you. They can no longer bring separation between you and the holy God. They can no longer bring God's wrath and punishment upon you. Why? Because Christ is risen. And for Christ to be risen, he first had to be dead. Why did he die? Why was he dead? Because he was crucified. Why was he crucified? Yes, he was crucified by the hands of lawless men. But this was ultimately due to the definite plan of God. Remember when Jesus was on the boat with the disciples and he had fallen asleep and they had this huge storm. And they thought they were going to die. And so they go down and they wake Jesus up. And they say to him, don't you care that we are perishing? And it's such an ironic question. Don't you care that we are perishing? It's ironic because the very reason he was there, God in the flesh, is because he cared. Because God our Father cared and sent his only son into the world to save us from perishing. Not just physical perishing or death, but from eternal perishing. From dying in our sins, from being forever separated from God. Because he loved us to save us, God himself came for us. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to save his people from their sins. Jesus, the Lamb of God, came to take away the sin of the world. Why was he crucified? Jesus was crucified because that was how God was going to make his own son, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was crucified so that by his wounds we might be healed. Jesus, the eternal God, became man. He took on a body of human flesh. Why? So that in that body he might suffer and bleed and die. So that his blood would cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. Jesus was crucified so that he could bring you back to God. So you could know him and be saved from perishing. And beloved, when Jesus rose from the dead, that was God's loud and public proclamation and display that he was pleased with the work of his son. He accepted his death in our place. The work was finished. The penalty was paid. Sin and death were defeated forever. And so, beloved, because Christ is risen, you are not still in your sins. 
you are permanently delivered from your sin. Well, we might ask if, you are, if you're not still in your sins, then where are your sins now? And the song, the, there's a thought, the, a song that runs through my, my mind whenever I think of this. I don't imagine it's one that many of you know. We will never sing it on a Sunday morning, but it's by Audio Adrenaline. 2001, that song, Ocean Floor. And it's all about where are our sins? Your sins are on the ocean floor. So I looked it up this week. What's the deepest part of the ocean? The Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean is seven miles deep. Seven miles deep. You could take Mount Everest, the highest mountain in the world, and place it under the water there and climb to the top, and you'd still have a mile to go. I wondered if there's a rope across that says deep end there in the ocean. Seven miles deep. Beloved, your sins are on the ocean floor. Now, they're not literally on the ocean floor. What are they doing? They're creating a word picture for us using biblical imagery to drive home this point. And this is the words they say in the song. Where are your sins? They're behind you. They'll never find you. They're on the ocean floor. Your sins are forgotten. They're on the bottom. They're on the ocean floor. Your sins are erased and they are no more They're out on the ocean floor. It's biblical imagery because the prophet Micah is the one who says this. He he says, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. Passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Paul says it like this in Colossians 2, you who are dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, and where did he put it? He nailed it to the cross. Peter says it like this, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is God in the flesh. He took your sins from you. Beloved, God's the one who planned this rescue. He's the one who delivered this rescue in the death of his own son while you were still a sinner. If this is what God has done, he will will never take your sins off of Christ and put them back on you. It would defeat his very purpose. It's impossible. One pastor said it this way, when Christ arose on Easter morning, He left behind him in the depths of the grave every one of your sins. And there they remain buried forever from the sight of God. So where are your sins? They are trampled by God. Tread beneath his feet. They are cast into the depths of the sea. They are remembered no more by God. They're not counted against you. They are nailed to the cross, born in the body, the sacrifice of Jesus himself. They're buried in his tomb. The point is, beloved, because Christ is risen, you are not still in your sins. You are delivered, freed, forgiven of all your sin. How much sin is in your account? None. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you're not still in your sins, where are you? You want to hear some good news? Some amazing news? Paul says in Ephesians 2, we have been raised up with Christ. 
He says, this, is, this has happened already. We have been raised up with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now listen, the reason you are not still in your sins is not because you decided to follow Jesus. It's not because you have turned over a new leaf. It's not because you have resolved to work harder and living a good life. It's not because you're a member of a church. The reason you are no longer in your sins is because God is merciful and gracious. Because God made you alive when you were dead. Because God himself has taken you from one realm to another. He has taken you out of death into life. And beloved, you have been raised up with Christ. You are now seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So you're no longer dead in Adam. You are alive in Christ. You're no longer in your sins. Why? Because you have been crucified, buried, and risen with Christ. So when Christ was raised, you were raised with him, never to die again. Yes, there is a glorious resurrection to come for those who are in Christ. But we have also already experienced a resurrection. And so we are not still in our sins because we are right now in some mysterious way raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms and there is no sin there. Your sins will not conquer you and they cannot condemn you. We'll get back to Romans. And in chapter 8, that very verse first, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, Christ is risen. You are not still in your sins. You are delivered from your sins forever. And then third, because Christ is risen, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not perished. Or we could say positively, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are alive. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. God gave his own Son to save his people from perishing. If Christ is not risen, everyone will perish. No one will ever be in heaven. But beloved, God did not fail in his plan to save his people. It is impossible for God to fail. And so it is impossible. It's out of the realm of possibility for those who have faith in Jesus to perish in the end, to suffer in hell. Those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have not perished. They are alive. This means that when those who trust in Jesus die, it may be crushing for us, but it is not for them. Our lives may be filled with sorrow, but theirs are not. There may be times where we lose our will to live, but they do not. We may feel the crushing weight of grief like a boulder on our chest, but they feel the fullness of joy and the presence of Jesus. We might think about those from our own church family and our short life as a church who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And don't you love that term, the way the scriptures speak about it? It's a peaceful rest. They've fallen asleep 
We've had sudden, unexpected deaths. We've had awful disease. There's a, there's a true sense in which you could say our church was birthed in the face of death. Some of you who were with us from the beginning, you'll remember that the week, a week before our first ever public service on Easter Sunday in 2014, that our pastoral intern, Andy Steyer's brother Pete, died suddenly, who was a friend to many of us. You will remember four months later to the day, our own son Anthony died suddenly. You may remember the very first service that we ever had in Florin was not a gathered worship service, it was a funeral for Eric Aiken's father, Jerry, who had worshipped with us. We remember our brother Jeff Lane called home to be with the Lord. We remember during COVID, Andy Hershey and Mark Miller being called home to be with Jesus. I remember my father, Charles De Bruin, our beloved brother, Jesse Epps, and then just recently, Greg Bretz and Doug Gray and Bob Cluck and just yesterday, Jody Coyman. And this is not to mention your other family members, your parents, your grandparents, your siblings, elect infants in the womb. Beloved, what has happened to them? They have not perished. They are not dead, but living. And we might ask, whose name will be added to that list this year? And that question is not meant to be morbid, but realistic. Every name will be added at some point. But you know, outside of some diagnosis, we don't really think like that, do we? We think it's never going to come. But we don't know. What the scriptures tell us is that we will all die. The question is, what will death be for us? What will it bring? And beloved, the resurrection of Christ changes death for the believer. It transforms it. Calvin said that the sword of death, which could penetrate into our very hearts, has been blunted. It wounds nevertheless still, but without any danger, for we die, but by dying we enter into life. So death used to be an executioner, but for the one who has faith in Jesus, death has been transformed from an executioner into a gardener. Think about that. Lots of you are working on your gardens right now. And what do you do? You take a seed or you take a bulb for a vegetable or a flower and you you plant it in the ground. You bury it in the ground. Why? So that it can grow into what it was designed to be. So that it can sprout, it can flourish, it can come to life. God designed us, he created us to be with him. You were made to worship God, to enjoy him, to be with him in his kingdom, his garden of peace and love and joy and righteousness. No sin or death there, no war or pain there, no mourning or sorrow there. So death is now the garden that God plants you in that you may be raised to new life, that you can grow into what God created you to be. So death is now the gateway to glory, the doorway into delight. So for those in Christ, now death, the only thing that death can do for you is make you better. Now you realize I just transformed gardening for you, right? It's no longer work, it's worship. But maybe it already was. It's a reminder of the gospel. 
So every time you go to work in your garden, or maybe you see someone farming, which here is nearly every day, right? Every time you see that, remember, you will not die, but live. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not perished. They are now the harvest that God has brought home. Beloved, Christ is risen. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. The church has gathered on Sunday, the Lord's Day, every Sunday since Jesus rose from the dead, and they will gather until he returns. And every Sunday for us is a reminder. Christ is risen. Your faith is not futile. It will end in sight. It will be rewarded. Christ is risen. You are not still in your sins. Your sin will not conquer you. It cannot condemn you. You are delivered from the guilt and power of sin and death, and you will be delivered from its very presence one day. And every Sunday is a reminder, Christ is risen. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not perished. They are living today. Beloved, your physical death will not destroy you. It will not end you. It will usher you into the abundance of joy. Fullness of joy in the presence of God. Beloved, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.